Finally, at last, at long last, welcome to the madness. May it consume you. I'm John Mendoza, and this podcast is about four years in the making and about four years too late. Ever since I moved to Colorado, it's been a dream of mine to cover the Denver Broncos, to cover the NFL, and to start my own podcast. So after a few years of covering the team, of writing for the team, I'm finally here. I finally have a podcast of my own that's going to be live streamed here on Twitch, on our gaming channel. Uh, We're going to have it recorded, uploaded, put on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. So if you're listening to this live, welcome. If you're listening to it in the future, if you're driving to work, welcome. This has been such an amazing experience. Again, I'm John Mendoza. I'm a Denver Broncos and NFL insider from Mile High Sports. I've also done work with Last Word on Sports. Uh, I've written for Bleacher Report. I've had articles published all over the internet. A lot of opinions that were A, wrong, and B, very personal. So I kind of want to take this, uh, how I want to kind of do the podcast is we're going to have a lot of guests come on. We've already have this whole month booked out for many special guests to come on and appear on the podcast. So what I want to do is kind of take a formula where guests can talk a little bit about themselves, talk about their favorite teams, some of their interests, and really give a state as to where their teams are. And their team is in the playoffs. If it's not in the playoffs, what can their team do to improve? So, of course, my team, as you can't already tell, the Denver Broncos are my one true love. I was a Broncos fan for as long as I can remember. When I was a little kid, about six years old, I was at my babysitter's house, and they had just gotten the brand new PlayStation. Y'all remember Y'all remember the brand new PlayStation. Like, if you owned a PlayStation, you were the hottest-ish out there. So, she finally got the PlayStation, and it came with this demo, and on the demo was a bunch of different games that were supposed to come out for the PlayStation that year, and one of them was... NFL Game Day 98, and the only two teams you could choose from were the two teams that were in the Super Bowl the year prior, and that was the Green Bay Packers and the Denver Broncos. So to my naive, young, six-year-old mind, I only thought you could choose between two of the teams, so I chose the Denver Broncos, and ever since then, they have been my team. I've lived all over the country, from Arizona to California to Delaware, and I have never stopped loving the Denver Broncos. A couple of my other sports teams are the Philadelphia Flyers. Like I mentioned, I'm from Delaware. Uh, My dad really, really does not like the Philadelphia Flyers. My dad never liked the city of Philadelphia. Um, So here I am choosing the team that he did not like simply because he didn't really like it. Um, Baseball team is the Colorado Rockies. I've got got my Rockies shirt on here. And of all my sports teams, they are in by far the worst shape. They are on the verge of being a complete dumpster fire, and that is really, really sad because Colorado is very, very passionate about their baseball, about their Colorado Rockies. Uh, I do follow esports. We are going to talk a lot of esports on this channel later this month. We have an esports analyst, uh, Dalton Davidson, who will be joining us to talk the state of esports in both the League of Legends, Overwatch, Fortnite, and other competitive communities. Um, he's an insider of sorts, uh, specializes in esports and esports coverage. Uh, we're going to have a couple people on from Arizona to talk about the state of sports in Arizona. And it's going to be a great time. Because this is the Mile High Madness podcast, I am going to talk a lot about the Broncos, a lot about Colorado teams. That's where we're based out of. That's where you know sponsors really want to market to that Colorado-Denver crowd. So today I wanted to start off the podcast by just talking about where the Denver Broncos are. And if you've been living under a rock or you need a recap, the the Denver Broncos are in kind of a fragile state right now. Coming off of the 2015 Super Bowl win, the Broncos were on top of the world. You know, they sent Peyton Manning off into the sunset. They supposedly had an heir apparent in Brock Osweiler. They still had that number one defense in the NFL, one of the greatest defenses of all time, led by Von Miller and the no-fly zone. And ever since then, it just steadily went downhill. Brock Osweiler spurned the Broncos for the Houston Texans for a bigger contract in 2017. Uh, DeMarcus Ware ended up playing with a lot of back spasms that year. The defense took a hit, and at the end of the 2016 season, the Broncos, led by then-quarterback Trevor Simeon, finished 9-7, and Gary Kubiak and John Elway agreed to mutually part ways. 
going into the next season, it didn't get any better from there. Uh, General manager John Elway really missed on a head coaching hire when he brought in Vance Joseph. Completely wrecked the team. The team started falling apart. They started trading away veterans, releasing veterans for, for cheaper players. Vance Joseph was clearly out of his league as a head coach. So after the 2018 season, after going 5-11 and and 6-10, and the Broncos fired Vance Joseph. Still hadn't found a franchise quarterback. Their first-round pick from 2016, Paxton Lynch, ended up being a colossal bust. Never got used to the, the NFL level, what you needed to do to prepare each and every day to be a franchise quarterback. So here we are, the beginning of the 2019 season. The Broncos hired then-defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, Vic Vangio, and kind of went outside the norm for hiring. A lot of NFL GMs and a lot of owners are looking to get the younger coaches, the sexier coaches, the ones who, you know, coach the franchise quarterback up into a Pro Bowl level. They're looking for people a lot like the Kyle Shanahan's. They're looking for... Um, you know, a lot of the younger coaches who are going to grow with the team. Elway kind of got rid of that stigma, and he went for a older coach in Vic Vangio, who's, I believe, 78. I'll have to fact check on that one, but he's he's up there. He certainly knows spring chicken. And someone who could really lead a locker room and bring that kind of old-school mentality back to the Broncos, which got them their Super Bowl win in 2015. So Vic Vangio's season this year started out a little rocky. Um, Joe Broncos signed quarterback Joe Flacco, drafted quarterback Drew Locke in the second round. Many people had a lot of uh, knocks against Drew Locke coming out of Missouri. He seems to be the stereotypical John Elway quarterback. Tall, big arm, good-looking dude, but could he grasp an NFL playbook? Could he read a pro-style defense? These things, These things we really weren't sure about. Lo and behold, Joe Flacco, who hasn't done anything since his Super Bowl win in 2012, was awful. The Broncos got out to a horrible start, lost a lot of really close games, and eventually Joe Flacco injured his back and had to get placed on IR. Uh, undrafted player Brandon Allen came in, took over the reins for him for a couple games. The Broncos went 1-1 one and one, and eventually turned the reins over to Drew Locke, where we come to the climax of the story where the Denver Broncos might actually be trending in an upward trajectory. The Broncos ended the season on a 4-1 hot streak led by Drew Locke. The team was playing with fire. They were playing with swagger. They were playing like a team who wants to finally win again. Von Miller, who was a Super Bowl MVP for the 2015 season in Super Bowl 50, even said it himself to the media. He said, I am so sick of losing and shit. His words. Not mine, though I'm sick of losing and shit too. So the Broncos are finally ready to get back to their winning race, and that's really what it seemed like. So here we are. The Broncos are at a really crucial point, end of the 2019 season, going into 2020. They ended at a 7-9 record, which doesn't sound impressive at all. They missed the playoffs. They had playoff aspirations in the offseason. It didn't happen. So here they are going into a very crucial offseason, and... 7-9, though it doesn't sound sexy on paper, when you really think about all the things that the Broncos have had to go through, all of their rebuilds, a first-year head coach, first-year offensive coordinator, you know, two quarterbacks going down, a rookie quarterback coming in, it really wasn't that bad of a record. And with the team ending on such a hot streak, that could really be what it takes for the Broncos to take off. What we're going to do is we're going to, in this podcast, we're going to look back on the, how the players performed in 2019, and what we're going to do is kind of put them into a tier list. We're going to rank the position groups based on how the players performed, and just kind of go over a recap of 2019 and what to expect going forward. So I pulled up a tier list here for you guys. Yep, there we go. So... At the top of the tier list, we've, instead of giving them you know, an A, a B, a C, a D, e, F, we're going to go with kind of categories, let's say. So on the top, you got the MVP and All-Pro. These are the guys who played in the you know, Lamar Jackson All-Pro level. They you know, got selected to the All-Pro. Pro Bowl is the next tier for guys who either should have made or made the Pro Bowl, but they played at a Pro Bowl level all season. The tier below that, the serviceable starters. These are your guys who aren't going to put up big numbers. They're not going to go to the Pro Bowl, but they're going to get in there, get the job done. And really, you don't 
need to upgrade that position in the draft or free agency. Below that, we start dipping into the, you know, maybe not so passing tiers. We've got the borderline starters. These are going to be the guys who, you know, you do want to upgrade them in the draft, but you don't necessarily see them as a priority. These are the, if you have a linebacker, you could draft another linebacker in the fourth or fifth round and kind of get a developmental prospect. The last two tiers, the D and F tiers, are the liabilities and the downright terribles. Now, I know a lot of Broncos fans watching this are, you know, hoping this is one of the two tiers that Garrett Bowles falls into, and we'll get to that in a second. But these are the guys where you're going to want to spend a first-round pick on the position. You're going to want to spend, you know, big money in free agency. You want to upgrade these two positions specifically. So we got our tier list here, and I'm going to not start with quarterback because that's what everybody's going to want to talk about. You know, the Drew Locke and Joe Flacco and everything. So let's start with the running back, okay? We're just going to drag running back here for now. The running back groups for the Denver Broncos in 2019 consisted of primarily Philip Lindsay, the undrafted Colorado kid, feel-good story, wasn't even invited to the combine, came out, became the first undrafted rookie to begin his career with back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons for rushing. That's really impressive, guys. That is an impressive feat, especially considering that he went undrafted, wasn't even invited to the scouting combine. Barely anybody came to his pro day at the University of Colorado. Behind him was Royce Freeman, a third-round pick from 2017. I'm sorry, 2018. And a lot of people had high expectations for Royce Freeman. He was supposed to be the guy that took the backfield and really made it his own. Instead, Royce Freeman kind of fell behind Philip Lindsay, had some injury struggles early on in his rookie season, and never really regained that starting position back. And the other running back I want to talk about is Devontae Booker. Uh, former fourth-round pick for the Broncos, came out of the University of Utah. Uh, again, a lot of hype surrounding this guy. He fell in the draft due to a knee injury, but he never picked up where he left off at the University of Miami or the University of Utah. You know, he never regained a starting position. He looked ineffective and lethargic at times this season. Th- even though he's not technically a running back, I'll throw him in here. Andy Janovich a fan favorite for the Denver Broncos, a former sixth-round pick fullback who plays with the heart of a thousand Lions, man. Uh, I think Vance Joseph said it once, you know, if we had 11 Janos on the field, we'd be okay. And though I don't like to quote Vance Joseph often, I mean, he was kind of right in that aspect. Janovich plays his heart out every game. He's effective. He never takes plays off. He's a great blocker and a great runner and a threat out of the backfield. He's everything you want and a fullback in the 2020 season. So looking back to how the Broncos performed, let's pull up some statistics here. If we go up to the rushing. So Philip Lindsay started all 16 games, played in all 16 games. He ended with 1,011 yards rushing, seven touchdowns. He averaged four and a half yards a carry, which is really good, especially for a running back of Lindsay's size. But... 1,011 yards doesn't really seem like that much, especially in this day and age when people are more interested in getting 1,500 and that, you know, very special 2,000-yard rushing season. Philip Lindsay only had 63 rushing yards a game. That's not a lot, right? You're, you're, you're not putting up 100 yards a game. You're only putting up 63 yards per game. That's, you know, a little more than half the length of the football field. Royce Freeman, we can see he clearly took a backseat to Philip Lindsay, only rushed the ball 132 times, was not as effective, ending with 496 yards rushing uh, for a 3.8 yard average, scored three touchdowns on the year rushing. Okay, so very modest numbers for a backup running back, also contributed 256 yards receiving and a touchdown. Uh, both of them had catch rates of over 70%. Royce Freeman actually had 86% catch rate, which is pretty impressive. Uh, But overall, you know, I don't see running back as a need for the Broncos going into the 2020 season. They still have Phillip Lindsay. They have Royce Freeman. But I would like to see them get another backup over Devontae Booker. Booker was hurt for a lot of the year, but you can look at his stats. They're just not, they're not there. This was a player who never saw the field either due to injury or ineffective play. He only rushed two times for nine yards. No, no, 
That's not his stats for one game, folks. That's his stats for the entire season. Two rushes for nine yards. It, it's just so laughably bad. I, I would like to see the Broncos keep Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman where they are, but upgrade the third running back spot. Maybe draft a running back in the third or fourth rounds. Bring in a veteran for a young group, a young positional group. I think the Broncos had a very solid, serviceable starter for running backs. Definitely not anything impressive, but something that could get the job done in 2019 and going into the 2020 season. I'd like to see the Broncos offense get Lindsey more involved. I'd like to see Philip Lindsey catch more balls out of the backfield. He only contributed 196 yards receiving this year. Not that impressive for a guy whose skill set heavily involves catching the ball and getting yards after the catch. I don't think they need to immediately upgrade. You don't need to go out and get a Le'Veon Bell type signing. You don't need to spend a first, second, maybe even third round pick on a running back. But I would like to see them continue to develop a young backfield or bring in a seasoned veteran to uh, guide that young group of guys. Let's hop, skip, and jump over to the wide receiver position. I'm just going to put him in serviceable for now. We'll go into that. So the Denver Broncos wide receiver position consisted of Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Deontay Spencer, Fred Brown, Trinity Benson, and Kelvin McKnight. Any of those guys ring a bell to you? Well, if you're like me, the answer is, you know, not really. The guys that we're mostly concerned about here are Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, and Tim Patrick. Juwan Winfrey had a really strong training camp, a really strong preseason that got him on the team. But when the chips were down, when the season started, we didn't really hear a whole heck of a lot of Juwan Winfrey. Now, the guy I'm going to start with is Cortland Sutton. Man, what a beast Sutton has become. The former second-round pick. Last season, we talked you know, all around about how this guy looks so special in training camp. He looks so special in the preseason. But we didn't know that he was going to bloom into this amazing, you know, number one receiver type option. Sutton caught just about everything thrown his direction last season. We go down to his receiving stats here. Let's take a look. He led the team in, in receiving yards by far. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even close. He ended the season with 72 receptions for 1,112 yards, six touchdowns, and had a catch percentage of 58%. So, not too shabby, but the fact that the next Bronco in receiving yards, the guy, you know, number two for receiving yards on this season, was a rookie tight end, who we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. The drop-off here, look at this, folks, 1,112 yards down to 562 yards receiving. That's how big of a drop-off it was, from the number one receiver for receiving yards to number two. Sutton put the team on his back. He carried the passing game. The fact that Sutton was not selected to the Pro Bowl is a travesty and just, you know, plain up evidence that the Denver Broncos continue to get snubbed year in and year out. So if, it, if this was just a rating group based on players alone, I would put Sutton in Pro Bowl tier, uh, 100%. And I'd be willing to go, you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody who says otherwise. But Sutton deserved to go to the Pro Bowl. He did get snubbed this season, unfortunately. But if it were just Sutton, I would put him in the Pro Bowl. Unfortunately, we're talking about the entire position groups here. There is a significant drop-off after you take Cortland Sutton out of the picture. Like I mentioned before, the next best receiver on the team was Noah Fant, the rookie tight end who the Broncos spent the 20th pick on this offseason. 562 yards receiving. That is half. Almost exactly half of the yards that Cortland Sutton got. That's a huge drop-off, guys. And we're not even in. We're not talking about tight ends yet. The next best receiver isn't even on the team anymore, guys. Emmanuel Sanders, who was a staple for the Broncos offense for so many years, under Peyton Manning, Super Bowl champion with that 2015 team, He's not even on the team anymore. The Broncos trading him to the San Francisco 49ers midseason for a fifth-round pick. Before his trade, he was contributing 376 yards receiving on 30 catches and two touchdowns with a catch percentage of 68.2%. That's pretty respectable. 
But that's too big of a drop-off, guys. Even if you played only for half the season, the fact that Sutton had four times more than the net receiving yards than the next best receiver, it's, it's just sad, guys. It's so damn sad. Pankilla's uh, comments and says that Fant will be a beast next season. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think the Broncos found great value with, with uh, Noah Fant especially considering they got him with a 20th pick in the draft. He was the second tight end taken. I think he will be a beast next season. In terms of wide receivers, though, the Broncos just don't have the talent here. Deshaun Hamilton was the third leading receiver on the Broncos, going 28 catches for 297 yards and a touchdown. Now, to his credit, he did play hurt for most of the season. He played in all 16 games, but only started in two games. But the production just isn't there, guys. Doesn't matter who's throwing the ball. Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, or Drew Locke. The production from Deshaun Hamilton was not there. The fourth receiver and the final receiver that we'll talk about, Tim Patrick, who got all the offseason hype as being the guy, the guy you can plug in at the number two and you put Deshaun Hamilton in the slot, and then who do you cover? Patrick didn't get it done either, guys. He played hurt most of the season. He had to go on IR for a bit. He played in eight games, only started two of them. Contributed 16 catches for 218 yards and no touchdowns. That's just not the production that you need for a 2019 offense. So taking all of these guys into account, you have a Pro Bowl level receiver in Cortland Sutton. You know, Emmanuel Sanders, a guy who's not no longer in his prime, traded away. The two guys who tried to step into his shoes, Deshaun Hamilton and Tim Patrick, not getting the job done. I'm going to have to unfortunately put the wide receivers into liability tier i think the broncos receivers were a liability this year outside of Cortland sutton and when teams are starting to figure out how to cover Cortland sutton how to use bracket coverage it, it's you take him away and there's no one else left nobody else is there to pick up the slack the broncos need to target wide receiver in the draft whether that's a first round pick i know a lot of people in denver want to see the broncos get cd lamb that stud receiver from Oklahoma, or if you go into the, you know, dip into the free agent pool and get somebody who can play opposite of Cortland Sutton, I would like to see the Broncos get a wide receiver this position and make it a priority. I'm putting the position group into the liability tier. Since Painkillers uh, mentioned the tight end position, let's let's go ahead and talk about them next. The tight ends for the Broncos consisted of really only two guys, right? Like there's. There's more than two guys on the roster, but we only ever really saw Noah Fant, the first-round stud, and Jeff Hireman. Hireman, I don't want to call him a bust. He was a third-round pick from Ohio State, missed his first season due to an ACL injury. He's been serviceable. He's been that tight end that you can put into the game. He can pick up a third-down catch. He can pick up a clutch catch. But he's not starting caliber. He's not the guy that's going to go out there and win you football games. That guy is Noah Fant, who the Broncos, as mentioned earlier, drafted with the 20th overall pick in the offseason. And man, Noah Fant was a stud this year. If we're going just on you know, Noah Fant's production, I'm, I'm really tempted to put him in the serviceable starter tier, even borderline Pro Bowl. It's, it's hard to judge a rookie tight end because of the learning curve you have to do. A lot of tight ends in college don't block. They're simply receiving options. One of the biggest knocks on Noah Fant, and the reason he was the second tight end taken, is teams weren't sure if he could block effectively, like you need to do at the NFL level. It, I, but I really want to put him in Pro Bowl tier. He was just that Good. I'll read you his stats off one more time. I know we talked about him a little bit in the receiver tier. Um, he had 40 catches for 562 yards and three touchdowns. Now, take into consideration, he was playing behind Jeff Hireman for five of those 16 games. He only started 11 games, and he had to deal with three different starting quarterbacks this year. Noah Fant really took off when Drew Locke became the starter. He and Locke synced up real quick. It must have been those extra reps where they were, you know, taking the reps uh, during rookie training camp or during mini camp or the offseason. But, man, Noah Fant looked really damn good this year. Unfortunately, it's not just Noah Fant. 
we also have to consider that Jeff Hireman is still on the team. The Broncos don't really have anybody else outside of that. They're not going to be running a two tight end set. And this is not a Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard type of situation. The drop-off from Fant all the way down to Hireman is pretty significant. Hireman only chipping in for 14 catches for 114 yards, one touchdown. Noah Fant's catch rate was 60.6%, while Jeff Hireman's catch rate was 70%. So Noah Fant needs to learn to catch the ball a little better, but his athleticism, his talent, everything is there for this guy to be a special tight end that the Broncos haven't had since Julius Thomas. Given those two things in mind, I'm going to put the tight ends in serviceable starter tier. They're just serviceable right now. Noah Fant is going to get the job done going into 2020. I would like to see the Broncos pick up a veteran tight end, maybe move on from Hireman if they can get this veteran for a little bit cheaper. All right, guys, it's time. Let's talk about the offensive lineman. And again, I'm just going to put them in serviceable for right now. We'll discuss... The Broncos offensive line, the starting five for the Broncos offensive line was supposed to be as follows. Left tackle, Garrett Bowles, former first-round pick from the University of Utah. Dalton Reisner, former second-round pick of this season, the rookie. Center, Connor McGovern, the former guard who transitioned to center when the Denver Broncos let Matt Paradis go. Ron Leary, the right guard formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, signed with the Broncos a few years back. Right tackle, Juwan James, the former Miami Dolphin, who the Broncos made the highest paid tackle in the NFL. No, no, not highest paid right tackle, the highest paid tackle in the NFL this offseason. John Elway wrote him a huge check with a gigantic amount of guaranteed money. And you want to know something really tragic? The man played less than 30 snaps for the Broncos this year. Let that sink in for a minute. The man, the highest paid tackle in the NFL, played less than 30 snaps. Ain't that some shit? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? A complete bust. And I know he has, he's, a, he's still a young player. He's, you know, I think he turns 27 this year. He can maybe still turn his career around, have a great season next year. But for the 2019 season, Juwan James was a bust. A huge, colossal waste of money. Injured his knee during training camp. MRI came back clean. The man could just not physically and mentally get over the bulky knee. And he was listed as questionable for the entire season. He never practiced and, unfortunately, never really suited up for the Broncos. I don't know where else to put Juwan James. If this was just Juwan James, I would you know, I would very easily put him in terrible. How can you how can you rate a guy who doesn't even, you know, suit up for your team? It it was terrible. Hence the terrible tier. Let's see if the other offensive lineman can kind of bring him back. Okay? Ron Leary. Again, kind of another bust, right? He had a couple solid starts, a couple solid seasons when the Broncos brought him in from the Dallas Cowboys. But man, injuries have really taken their toll on Larry. He's battled concussions. He's battled arm injuries, knee injuries, and Achilles injury. Larry is just not the same offensive lineman he was when he you know, led the way for Ezekiel Elliott on the Cowboys. If this was just a Leary rating, his play dropped off significantly. He was a liability in pass blocking. He was actually pretty decent against the run. There was, there was one point in time, per pro football focus, he was a top five lineman in the NFL for run blocking. Can you believe that? But a complete liability against the pass, I would put him in liability tier. That's where I would put Ron Leary. Moving over to center, a cool statistic, a cool nugget I found on you know, ESPN was that there were only two players for the Denver Broncos that suited up and played every single snap this season. The first player, get this, was Garrett Bowles. The second player was Connor McGovern. I've been a Connor McGovern fan since they drafted him. Ever since they drafted him, I just said to myself, this kid's going to be a beast one day. Just wait. Let him get in the weight room. Let him be on you know, an NFL diet. Let him work out with them NFL boys. He's going to be a beast someday. 
and he very well is, transitioning from guard to center after the Broncos let Matt Paradis go, McGovern played average football. Not great, not bad. He just was kind of there. He did good against the run. He did good against the pass. He was a serviceable starter for a center. He's a guy you can just plug in and play and just let him play. If this was just for Connor McGovern, I'd put McGovern in serviceable starter. He is the guy that you can just expect to go in, take care of business, and hold down the center position. When McGovern's in the lineup, you don't need to address the center position in free agency. You don't need to address it in the draft. One more, guys. One more. I know everybody's chomping at the bit to get to the Garrett Bowles, but we got one more guy here. Dalton Reisner. Man, what a great pick for the Broncos. The Broncos killed it in the draft this year, by the way. Noah Fant, Dalton Reisner, and Drew Locke. These are going to be the guys that lead the Broncos for years to come. Oh, Reisner was so good. Oh, man, he was so good. One of the reasons the Broncos drafted him coming out of college was that he could play multiple positions along the offensive line. If this was, you know, about Reisner only, he'd be in the serviceable starter tier. He was great. He was solid against the run, solid against the pass. I have really nothing negative to say about Reisner. He's still a rookie. He still needs to get, you know, get a little more in shape in terms of NFL. He still needs to continue to improve his technique. But I was very impressed with Connor or with uh, Dalton Reisner, and I'm excited to see where he goes. Now let's talk about Garrett Bowles. Oh man! Unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think pro no pro football. Reference does not go over how many penalties a player got. I think they strictly just do, you know, yards and statistics of that nature. So while we're discussing Garrett Bowles, let me see if I can pull up how many flags Garrett Bowles has, you know, has accounted for this season. Everybody knows the knock on Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles came out of the University of Utah. A very raw prospect. He kind of had everything that you're looking for from a physical standpoint, but people were really concerned about his technique. How would he fare against the elite pass rushers in the NFL? That was a really big question. And, you know, the answer right now is not well. He has not done well this year at all. Let's take a look here. For his 28, uh, it was 2018, bummer. Okay. We'll look into how many penalties he accounted for this season, but it was a lot. It seemed like every game, Bulls either had an, a drive-killing holding call, a block in the back, a false start, something that would either kill a drive or kill a big play. And I have not seen any improvement from Bulls. I know a lot of people want to say that he did improve. I haven't seen it. I really haven't. A lot of people thought that with the Broncos hiring former Steelers offensive line coach Mike Munchak, that he would improve, that he would be with a good coach, he would, you know, he would work on his technique, everything would be fine, he'd cut back on the penalties. I didn't see that happen this season. Bowles was still, he, he may have played every snap for the Broncos, but he was such a liability every which way he went. The issue is... The Broncos will have the 15th pick in the draft this year. All the elite tackle prospects are going to be gone. They're just going to be gone. They just made a you know $70 million mistake signing Juwan James, making him the highest paid tackle. Where's the money going to go? Where's the draft capital going to go to address the tackle position? You need receivers. You need defensive linemen. You need linebackers, and you really need cornerbacks. We'll get to that in a second. Where do you go from here? I'm putting the offensive linemen and liability tier. And before we even get to defense, I think these are the two biggest needs for the Denver Broncos, wide receiver and offensive linemen. Before we go transition to defense, let's talk about the quarterbacks. Yep, let's talk about Drew Locke, Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen. I remember when the Broncos signed or uh, traded for Drew Locke this offseason for a fourth-round pick. I texted my dad, and I just said, no! Because Joe Flacco's washed up, man. He really, he really wasn't even that good on the Ravens. 
He got beat up by a rookie. He got overpaid because he had a ma one magical run in the playoffs, carried by an elite defense. I was miserable when the Broncos signed Flacco. I thought it was terrible. And lo and behold, he was terrible for the Broncos. Let me just throw out his stats real quick. Like Joe Flacco started eighteen, started eight games, eighteen hundred twenty-two yards, six touchdowns. Guys, a quarterback in the NFL started eight games and threw for six touchdowns. I'm not making this shit up. Five interceptions. Your interception to touchdown ratio was almost exact. How do you even do that? But wait, it gets worse. Joe Flacco was sacked in eight games. In eight games, he was sacked 26 times. That's more than three times a game. I know a lot of people want to point to the offensive linemen, and I know we just went over that the linemen are a liability for the Denver Broncos. But let me just let me just throw one more stat at you real quick, and then we'll 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 keep talking about it. Drew Locke started five games for the Denver Broncos, was sacked five times. So you go from having a quarterback who was sacked three times a game to a quarterback that was sacked one time per game with the same offensive linemen and even some backups because some you know Juwan James couldn't stay healthy. He had to sub out. He had to sub out Ron Leary. With an injured offensive lineman, he got sacked way less than Flacco. A third less than Flacco did. Flacco was dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. I'll give a little shout-out to Brandon Allen. You know, the undrafted kid traded for. He did okay. He was serviceable for the Broncos. He was more than I had expected for him when he started. But his numbers aren't great. I mean, I, I personally really like the guy. I was rooting for him the whole time. But a completion percentage of 46%, only 515 yards and three starts and three touchdowns, two interceptions, and was sacked nine times. Again, again, three times per game. Sacked three times per game when Locke was only sacked once per game. It's dreadful, man. The quarterbacks did not do well. At least, they didn't do well. And then something magical happened. My boy, Drew Locke who I've been a huge fan of since his days at Missouri, came in after rehabbing all season from a thumb injury. The Broncos put him on IR. They used this virtual reality technology to keep him in tune with his timing, with his footwork, with the receivers. He comes back from the thumb injury onto his throwing hands and completely re-energizes the Broncos fan base. His numbers aren't sexy, okay? Let me read you his numbers. He went... In five starts, he threw for 1,020 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, was only sacked, as mentioned, five times. Had a quarterback rating of 89.7. But what is sexy? What I find really sexy about this stat line? Four and one as a starter. It just makes you think, you know, what if the Broncos would have turned to lock just a little bit sooner, right? Maybe they could have snuck into the playoffs. Maybe they could have had a shot at, at finishing 8-8, eight 7-9, and eight, seven and nine, a winning record. I don't want to crown Drew Locke as the second coming of Peyton Manning or as the next franchise quarterback. I'm a huge Drew Locke fanboy. But I'll take the bias out for a second and just say he did a really great job this season, and I'm excited to see where it goes. He's only, we've only seen five games from the kid. But I think if he can continue to work on his footwork, work on his accuracy, and continue to improve as a passer, I think we've got something really special on our hands here. But as a whole, I'm going to put the quarterbacks on borderline starter. Only because Drew Locke saved that quarterback group when they came in. Pankillas, again, thanks Pankillas for joining us, says, Damn, son, Flacco sucks. Yes, he does. I have no problem saying that. And I don't think it's a personal attack on Flacco. Objectively speaking, he was terrible. Absolutely terrible. We're going to move a little bit faster here going into the defenses. We'll start with the defensive line. The Broncos' defensive line in a 3-4 defense consisted of Derek Wolf at, at uh, defensive end, Mike Purcell at nose tackle, subbed in by Kyle Pecco, and at right defensive end, Shelby Harris, subbed in by Adam Gotsis and Demarcus Walker. 
Of course, Adam Gatsis and Derek Wolf would end up on IR. Uh, both former, ironically, both former second-round picks. So you've got Demarcus Walker, another second-round pick, Mike Purcell, and Shelby Harris. And this group was, they were okay. All right, they they were okay. They weren't anything spectacular. They did their job. And I know a big part of that was that the Broncos were often playing so far behind because the offense was so anemic. The defense was on the field for so long. The defense kind of got the short end of the stick. They were on the field too long. They never really got to play with a lead. So they got the short end of the stick there. But as a group, I think they did pretty well. I'd like to see them upgrade the defensive line, maybe in the draft, maybe get you know a, a decent free agent signing. You want to bring Derek Wolf back. Derek Wolf was having a career year before he was put on IR with an injury. He was doing really well. Tackles, sacks. He seemed to fit Vic Fangio's defense really, really well. But it was a shame to see his season cut end so quickly. Adam Gotsis has got to go. I'm sorry. He hasn't impressed me since being drafted in the second round. His contract's up. He's got to go. I don't I don't really see the Broncos retaining him. I think you can find somebody better in the draft or find somebody better in free agency. But a man that I want to talk about is Shelby Harris. And quick recap of this last, most recent game against the Oakland Raiders. Shelby Harris disrupted three different plays in the Raiders' final drive, including a batted pass when the Raiders attempted a two-point conversion to win the game. You got to pay the man, Shelby Harris. You absolutely have to. He, his contract is up. He's more than outperformed his salary. I would love to see Shelby Harris come back, continue to make plays in orange and blue. As a whole, for the 2019 season, I'm going to put the defensive line in borderline starter. Some of them played really well. Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris. Some of them, Mike Purcell, Adam Gotts is kind of forgettable. The Broncos will need to upgrade this position group in the free agent see or in the draft and it starts with retaining Shelby Harris let's jump over to the linebackers and we'll just throw them in serviceable for now the Broncos started their 2019 season with Josie Jewell Todd Davis Bradley Chubb and Von Miller at linebacker Von Miller and Bradley Chubb obviously the outside linebackers the pass rushers you've got Josie Jewell and Todd Davis in the middle that was a pretty solid group of linebackers the problem is that Todd Davis got hurt in training camp, missed a huge portion of the season, and heartbreakingly, Bradley Chubb would tear his ACL early in the season and miss just about all of 2019. Taking a look at the defensive stats here, Todd Davis would come back strong. He only played in 14 games. He would come back to score a combined 136 tackles, really putting the defense on his back. Josie Jewell, the former starter, ended up starting the first three games. He would only contribute 34 tackles on the season. You may be asking why that is. That's because the Denver Broncos found a diamond in the rough with Alexander Johnson, a rookie that nobody had really even heard of, who had a, uh, I believe it was a domestic abuse scandal coming out of college. He was later acquitted. Found No evidence was found, so... No one really never know for sure. Ends up signing with the Broncos, starts 12 games, and records 95 combined tackles. And get this, he was named the Pro Football Focus Defensive Player of the Month for October. A diamond in the rough. And once they found that diamond, they took off, and the Broncos' defense really started stepping up. Alexander Johnson made such a key impact for the Broncos' defense he almost makes up for the loss of Bradley Chubb. I know that sounds weird to compare an inside linebacker to the production of a pass rusher. But if you look at the defense when Bradley Chubb wasn't in the lineup, they just seemed lost. They really didn't have an identity, and Alexander Johnson gave that to him. I want to talk about Vaughn Miller, the only pro bowler for the Broncos this season. F's in chat for Vaughn Miller being the only Denver Bronco going to the Pro Bowl. Vaughn would end up missing a game. He would go ahead and start 15 out of 15 or 15 out of 16 games. He would record eight sacks and a combined 46 tackles. He would, however, register 20 quarterback hits, which I thought was pretty impressive. 
Vaughn has definitely lost a step. He's not the same Super Bowl 50 MVP that we're used to seeing, but it's hard to produce when you're being double, triple, sometimes quadruple teamed. Once Bradley Chubb went down with that ACL, teams had teams had no reason to block the left side of the offensive line. They solely focused on Von Miller. So you bring a tight end over to his side. You bring a running back in to chip block. There goes all your stats. There goes all your sacks. There goes your ability to put pressure on the quarterback. I'm excited to see what Bradley Chubb does next year when he comes back. He you know, rehabs that, that ACL. Up until that ACL injury, he only had two sacks on the season, so half a sack a game. You expect more from a former first-round pick, but the whole team was struggling, and like we said before, they never got to play with a lead, so they never had to play against passing quarterbacks. So for the DeBoncos linebackers, I'm going to keep them right here and serviceable starter. We know Von Miller's at a Pro Bowl level. We know that Bradley Chubb has the potential to be a Pro Bowler. Alexander Johnson, he might make the Pro Bowl someday. He definitely put up numbers that you know equate to that. But right now, with the injury to Bradley Chubb, with Todd Davis, you know, maybe he's losing a step, maybe not. Von Miller not getting any younger. We're going to keep him in serviceable tier. Let's move on to the cornerbacks. The Broncos were once known as the no-fly zone. That was the name that they chose, that they trademarked, because nobody could throw against the Denver Broncos. Back in 2015 through all the way to 2017, really, the Broncos were known as the no-fly zone because they had elite cornerbacks and Keith Tlaib, Chris Harris Jr., and Bradley Roby, and they had great safeties over the top. That is no longer the case, as the only remaining member of the no-fly zone is Chris Harris Jr., who was not good this season. I love me some Chris Harris Jr. They call him Strap Harris in the locker room. But he was not good this season, man. Let's just be real. Father Time is still and always will be undefeated. He was a liability in coverage. He got burned on a consistent basis. He can no longer match up with the elite receivers in the NFL. Couldn't match up against an uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Couldn't match up against a Stephon Diggs. It's kind of a bummer. This is by far the weakest spot for the Denver Broncos. And I'm I'm even going to go as far to say is that they're in better shape with their offensive line and their wide receivers than they are at cornerback. Their cornerbacks were dreadful. Across from Chris Harris Jr., you had guys like Isaac Edom. You had Bryce Callahan, who, much like Juwan James, was paid a very hefty contract in the offseason and never played a single snap for the Denver Broncos this year. Can you believe that? That's two big-name free agent signings that never even made a difference for the Broncos this season. On the other side, you've got Devontae Harris, young kid, and uh, Duke Dawson Jr. Bryce Callahan obviously would end up on IR, never got the chance to play. And this group was just terrible. They got bailed out by their safeties, who I'll talk about in one second. But I think without further ado, with Chris Harris Jr. losing the father time, with the liability with Isaac Edom, I'm putting the cornerbacks in terrible tier. It has to be done, man. The Broncos, cornerbacks, not good. They need to address this in the draft. This needs to be a first or second round pick. They need to find somebody in free agency. The Broncos almost traded Chris Harris Jr. at the, date, at the uh, trade deadline for a second round pick. It never came to fruition. And I really, looking back, damn, I really wish they would have taken that second round pick if they could have gotten a second or a third, two-thirds, a third and a fourth, fine. I would have loved to see that draft capital because Chris Harris Jr.'s contract is up. He's seeking a contract for more than $13 million a season, and I can't justify spending $13 million on a cornerback who's getting consistently burned. I just can't. Let's talk about the safeties, guys. Let's talk about some good news. It's been a lot of bad news as of late, but let's talk about some good news. The safeties. Justin Simmons and free agent signing Kareem Jackson, formerly of the Houston Texans. These guys were studs. Absolute studs. Both rank in the top five per pro football focus in defensive efficiency. Justin Simmons coming in second, Kareem Jackson coming in fifth in that category. Oh, man, I can't say enough about these guys. They're not going to light up the score or the, uh, the stat board like an Ed Reed or a Troy Polamalu will, but... 
The reason is because they were so damn good in coverage. They were so good against the run. Quarter, quarterbacks didn't want to throw because they had nowhere to throw to. They had to keep you know, focusing on whoever had that one-on-one -on -one coverage, usually Chris Harris Jr. But Justin Simmons, former third-round pick, he took over so nicely for TJ Ward when the no-fly zone disbanded. He was so good. And the Broncos, he's in a, free, he's in a contract year. His contract is up after the season. So you're noticing a trend here. Shelby Harris, Chris Harris Jr., Justin Simmons, a lot of guys whose contracts are up that the Broncos need to either make a decision on whether or not they want to retain. I would have loved to see them get a deal done with Justin Simmons this, this season because now he hits the free agent market. He's clearly the second best safety in the league. Per pro football focus, you have the second best safety in the league. And you're allowing him to go to the free agent market where he's going to get to choose his own value. He's going to have people trying to sign him. There will be a bidding war for him. Or do you want to slap him with that ever-expensive franchise tag? I wish the Broncos would have taken care of this business before the season ended. Kareem Jackson, obviously on a very lucrative, you know, free agent deal from the Texans. He has that other free safety spot locked up. I think this is the only... Uh, see... It's going to be a little controversial. A little controversial here. Neither one of them made the Pro Bowl. I'm, t I'm telling you. Go figure. A team that's 9-7 and seven doesn't have a lot of Pro Bowlers. This was the sole bright spot for the Broncos. Undisputed bright spot. And it's going to be a little controversial. I'm putting them in all pro tier. Yeah, you're damn right. I'm doing it. We have had a lot of bad luck here, Broncos fans. But when you have two players playing at a top five position, that's all pro level right there. Two safeties make first team all pro. Two more safeties make second team all pro. Justin Simmons makes that all pro, according to Pro Football Focus, and Kareem Jackson is the first man out. This is a safety tandem that the Broncos cannot afford to let get away. I'm trying to keep my personal bias out of it, but these two guys are really, really special. They, they played at higher than a Pro Bowl level. we got two categories left here, folks. The special teams unit for the Denver Broncos will go over very quickly. Oh, it's the punter, Corey Wadman, and the kicker, Brandon McManus. I'll just read you their stats real quick. Brandon McManus was 29 out of 34 field goals for a percentage of 85%. He was 25 out of 26 extra points. And his kickoff average was 64 yards for a touchback percentage of 76.4. Not too shabby. You have that advantage. You know, you're kicking, you're kicking in Denver, Colorado. You're kicking in the mile-high air. So you have that advantage. Is 85% really that great, though? Can you trust a kicker who makes 85% of their field goals? I don't know. I, I, I really don't. McManus has been a great kicker for the Broncos, but he's missed a lot of key clutch kicks this year. And for an offense that averaged less than 23 points a game for the entirety of two seasons, every field goal counts. You cannot afford to miss field goals when your offense averages less than 23 points a game. Colby Wadman, the punter. I know a lot of people want to see him go. I used to be in that boat as well, but... Looking at his stats... They're really not all that bad. The poor bastard kicked for 78 times. 78 punts over the entirety of a season. Just doing some real quick math on my uh, handy-dandy iPhone here. If you punted 78 times and there's 16 games, you averaged 5 punts a game, guys. You punted the damn ball 5 times a game. That's just offensive inefficiency. A lot of that is to blame. You know, Joe Flacco, obviously, being the quarterback the sack master, the statue himself. Well, the cool number here is, look, he averaged 44 yards a punt. That's not a bad number. Yes, I understand. You're in the mile-high air. The ball's going to go further. But I think he did pretty damn good. I know a lot of people don't agree with that take. I know a lot of people look at it as, oh, well, you know, when I watch him on TV, he doesn't punt the ball that far. He rarely gets pins inside the 20. I'm looking at a punter who... You know, a Pro Bowl-level punter punts the ball 45 yards on average, and we've got a guy who punts it 44.4 yards on average. That's almost Pro Bowl-level right there. 
So for the Broncos special teams, let's go ahead and put them in serviceable starter. A lot of people don't like Wadman. A lot of people get pissed off that McManus misses a lot of key field goals. I think based on what they had to work with in 2019, I don't think the Broncos necessarily need to upgrade this position. You have so many more pressing needs. Let's talk about the last position. Let's talk about the coaches. Let's talk about Vic Fangio, first-time head coach. Let's talk about Rich Scangarello. Both first-time coaches. Rich Gangarello coming from the Kyle Shanahan tree. First time calling plays. Vic Fangio, first time not coaching a defense, but coaching an entire team. It's hard to judge their performance based on what they had to work with, guys. You had Joe Flacco, who, that's on Elway, right? The signing of Joe Flacco, making Joe Flacco your starting quarterback for the 2019 season, that's on John Elway. I mean, Vic Fangio had nothing to do with that. Rich Gangarello is just, they're, they're playing with the cards that were dealt to them. And they're trying their best to make it work. There was a lot of times where it would be, you know, third and five, and they'd run the ball at the middle, no gain, and they punt. And that was really frustrating. God, that pissed me off as a, as a Broncos fan. That really, really pissed me off. But again, look at what they had to work with. If Flacco takes a 10-yard sack, now you're looking at, you know, fourth and 16, and you're looking at giving the team a better field position with your punt. 7-9 and nine for a first-time head coach. It's not the worst record. We saw Freddie Kitchens, the uh, Cle former Cleveland Browns head coach, go 6-10 and 10 with a very talented roster. So 7-9, and nine, not terrible. It's not the playoffs that we wanted. So I'm going to give these two coaches a serviceable starter. I know that they're coaches, but... I don't see them parting way. I'm not going to put the coaches in, you know, liability tier. I don't think that they are, I don't think that they're a liability. I'm not going to put them in terrible. I don't think any coach on the Broncos was terrible this year. And I don't think that they were, you know, coach of the year candidates. I think they're just serviceable coaches. I'm excited to see what Rich Gangarello has an entire offseason to scheme around Drew, Drew Locke. I'm excited to see what these players do in the second year in Vic Fangio's defensive system. I think the Broncos have some promising coaches here. So here it is. Here is my Denver Broncos 2019 position review tier list. To recap, and the only position group in the MVP slash All-Pro tier are the safeties. Nobody makes the Pro Bowl tier. The five groups in the serviceable starter tier, running back, tight end, Linebacker, special teams unit, head coach, offensive coordinator. The borderline starter tiers for 2019, quarterback, defensive line. The liability tier, wide receiver, offensive line. And the terrible tier, cornerback. A little controversial. Some of it may be to be expected. I know a lot of people maybe want to see running back in Pro Bowl tier because, you know, Philip Lindsay made history this year. And I think that's a fair argument. But you got to take into account the entire position group, the guys who played on the football field, not the guys who were the bench warmers or the guys who provided the depth, but the guys who made an impact on the football field. You have to look at them in terms of their whole position group. We have a few minutes left here for our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in on the Mile High Madness podcast. We're going to end the podcast by going over the NFL finally announces their modern era finalist for the class of 2020 hall of fame i'm going to read you off this is breaking news by the way they literally announced this right before we went live the modern era finalists for the pro bowl are troy palomalu safety for the steelers edgerin james known mostly for his time with the indianapolis colts zach young i'm sorry zach thomas linebacker for the miami dolphins brian young Defensive tackle for the Niners. Richard Seymour, known mostly for his work as defensive lineman for the Patriots. John Lynch, free safety for the Buccaneers, and then spent year, three years with the Broncos. Steve Atwater, my man. Steve Atwater, 1989 to 1998 with the Denver Broncos. Leroy Butler, another beast for the Green Bay Packers. Reggie Wayne, wide receiver for the Colts. Torrey Holt, known for his time at the greatest show on turf. Wide receiver for the St. Louis Rams. His partner in crime, Isaac Bruce, known again for his time on the St. Louis and Los Angeles Rams. 
Sam Mills, linebacker for the Saints. Tony Baselli, the tackle for the Jaguars, franchise left tackle. Alan Fanica, known mostly for his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but also spent some time with the Jets and Cardinals. And Steve Hutchinson, who, in my opinion, one of the best guards to ever play the game. I don't think this man gets enough credit for how great he was. His time with the Seattle Seahawks, again with the Minnesota Vikings, and then spent a season with the Titans before retiring. Whew, it's a bummer here. According, If you scroll down, according to NFL Network, they will only select five modern-day finalists, a contributor, and then kind of a, a legacy person that gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. So of the guys I just listed off, there are only going to be five who make it into Canton. And it, it's such a damn shame because... Because you only allow five players to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, they're kind of a backlog, right? How long has Steve Atwater been trying to get into the Hall of Fame? He was one of, if not the best safety of the 90s. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a big Steve Atwater fan. But he truly was a generational talent for the 90s. Won two Super Bowls. Everybody knows him for the hit heard around the Amazing. world. Amazing! Amazing! Thank you so much, Painkillers, for the follow. They also know him for knocking out his own man in the Super Bowl. He was a great talent, but he hasn't made it to the Hall of Fame, so he continues to get backlogged. You've got, you know, Zach Thomas, an amazing talent for the Miami Dolphins. Edgerin James, he's still sitting here. You've got a couple first-timers, Troy Polamalu, Richard Seymour, Reggie Wayne. How about this? Torrey Holt. One of the receivers on the greatest show on turf. He still hasn't made it into the Hall of Fame. There's a backlog of talent. All of these guys deserve to get in. And I think all of these guys listed will get in. But I think the NFL needs to open it up a little bit, maybe for a couple of years. Vote to have a couple more players make it into the Hall of Fame. Otherwise, as more and more generational talents start retiring from our game now, it's just going to continue to be backlogged. So of the guys we have listed here, if I had to pick five, just pick five real quick. I, I hate to say this. Oh, God, I hate to say it. I think Troy Polamalu makes it. It's a damn shame. He went to a terrible school, played for a terrible team. See what I did there? Terrible. Terrible tell. But you've got to admit his, his game was on point. He was one of the best safeties of this decade. He makes it in. I think it's time for Zach Thomas to make it in. I really do. And I think when you look at the fact that there's no other linebackers except for Sam, there's only one other linebacker on there, Sam Mills, I think Zach Thomas finally gets in. Richard Seymour, I could see him making it in. And here's the issue. The Hall of Fame traditionally doesn't allow, they don't. They allow it, they definitely don't vote to have more than one person from each position get in. A couple years ago, LaDainian Tomlinson and uh, Terrell Davis, two running backs, were voted into the Hall of Fame, and that was considered an anomaly. That was kind of a fluke. So I don't expect any other safety to make it in if Troy Polamalu does. I would love to see Steve Atwater make it. Oh, God, I really would. And then we can kind of unstuff this backlog of safeties. You've got Steve Atwater, John Lynch, and Leroy Butler waiting to get into the Hall of Fame. So for the sake of just, I know it doesn't usually happen. Give me Steve Atwater to make the Hall of Fame this year. It's about damn time we make it happen. And you know I'll be clanging around social media trying to get this to happen. So let's see here. We've got Troy Polamalu, Zach Thomas, Richard Seymour, Steve Atwater. I think it's going to be Reggie Wayne. Now, I don't think Reggie Wayne deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Those are the really special guys. He played his entire career with Peyton Manning, the second or third greatest quarterback of all time. Played under one of the best offensive coordinators of all time. I think this position, this slot, belongs to Torrey Holt. He made the greatest show on turf and continued to be an elite receiver long after Kurt Warner moved on. And come on, he played for the sorry Rams after the greatest show on turf dissolved and still put up great numbers. I think this spot deserves to be Torrey Holt, but knowing the way that the writers vote, knowing how everybody in the NFL has such a short-minded memory on these things, 
I really do think Reggie Wayne will take this spot. So those are my five. Troy Polamalu, Zach Thomas, Richard Seymour, Steve Atwater, and Reggie Wayne. Of course, we won't know until the eve of the Super Bowl when it gets revealed on NFL Network. But those are my five guys to make the Pro Bowl. We have wrapped up our very first show. Oh my God, that flew by so quickly. Pankillas says, great breakdown and great show. Thank you so much, Pankillas. Crew Madre says, distance versus time, versus in the air time. Yeah, that's what we call it. Hang time, basically. How long is the ball in the air, which allows your gunners to get down and tackle the returner before he's able to bust off a big game. Let me just double check for you. I don't know. I don't know if the no, pro football reference, unfortunately, doesn't give how long the ball traveled in the air. It just gives total distance, unfortunately. So that's going to wrap up our very first show, folks. I can't believe it's finally here. It's almost like Christmas. You're so anxious for it, and it goes great, and it's finally here. And then you're looking in the rearview mirror, and you're getting ready for next Christmas. So thank you to everybody who tuned in to the Mile High Madness stream. Thank you for joining the Madness. If you're listening to this in the future, I hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to be doing this a lot more often. We don't have a set schedule. But this Saturday, we've got Joey Olivetti, a rugby expert and an expert in Denver Broncos sports, joining us in studio to talk a little bit of sports, a little bit of uh, rugby, and we've even got some poetry for you guys. And next week, Tuesday of next week at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, our very own Dalton Davidson will be joining us, our eSports insider. He'll be talking everything eSports to Arizona sports. I can't thank everybody enough. Let's go ahead and start up the wind-down music here. You guys have been wonderful. I can't thank you all enough for tuning in. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. God bless. And remember, always let the madness consume you.